chapter of the Gospel of John, you'll see that this is exactly how God works, how the Lord Jesus works. It's very easy to be so good and so clever in our own thinking as to lose God's blessing. And for those of you who are Christians, I would challenge you. And those of you who are not Christians, that is, you're not born again, you haven't received Jesus Christ, or you've never made your profession of Jesus public, I would challenge you today, when we come to the last hymn this day, that you will leave your seats and come forward. Let's pray with you. Let's counsel with you for a few moments. In the last service, there was a great shedding of tears. There was a tremendous knowing of the love of the Lord Jesus. I hope, although one can never remanufacture, it's entirely up to the Spirit of God what happens in this service. But I pray that you too in this service shall discover some of the truth and some of the beauty and some of the glow of the love of Jesus Christ. I want to share this with you because, as our young people sang a moment ago, we give people up simply because we ought to. We ought to because by our standards from where we stand, they don't measure up. We ought to because from where we sit, they just aren't in the same caliber or on the same wavelength. We try at times to retune them. We try at times to alter their direction. And we're frustrated when they don't do as they're told. And so we tune them out. I've got news if that's been happening to you, as it's been happening to me. God has worked. And God has worked a miracle. That is, when nobody else gave me a prayer, God loved me. That is, when nobody bothered with you except to be unkind and critical, except to grind about you, God loved you. Now this is all contained in this fourth chapter. You will discover that this lady especially was disallowed by the society in which she lived. The people didn't want anything to do with her. She couldn't go in the early morning or in the late evening conveniently to draw water from the well, which was the usual time, because people didn't like the way she lived. They didn't like her behavior, and so they ostracized, so they ignored, so they let her know, you're not one of us. She went midday, when nobody else went, in the heat of the day, to gather her water. It's interesting, isn't it? Nobody wanted to be bothered, but Jesus made a detour and deliberately went to Sychar for one reason, to speak with this woman. You came into this church, you came into this building, you came into this service, and there was a reason. Not your coming, that wasn't the reason. Not to be nice was the reason. Not to be religious was the reason. Not to, not to satisfy your wife or husband or child or parent was the reason. It was that Jesus might meet with you. You see, we have been very elegant. We are Baptists, so we have all the Baptist doctrines and we've got everything beautifully lined up. We know exactly where everything fits. The whole Bible somehow fits together and we know. We're very proud of the fact that we like good preaching and good preachers. We're very proud of the fact that we stand upon the Word of God and that's been our downfall. We exhibit spiritual pride. We've ignored the power of God. We've turned away from the miracles of God. 
We have somehow lost our ability to observe that in the day in which we live, there is little difference than the day where Jesus was walking on this earth. About the only thing that's different is that we drive in motor cars and he had to go a, a day's journey on foot. About the only thing that is different, we can traverse the world in just hours where in those days, I don't know how long it must have taken. Very few things have changed. Nothing has changed with God and man hasn't altered one scrap. He is still bugged with sin. He is still anxious to re be released of sin. Man still, because of his sin, needs to be comforted. He needs someone to say, I love you. If he's a man, a woman isn't enough. If, a, if he's a woman, a man isn't enough. The love, I love you, from the two sexes is simply not sufficient because it does not feed the soul, it does not relieve the heart, it does not comfort the inner person. The inner man of the soul is, or, or heart is not developed because that love is purely a philo love, an eros love, it is not an agape love. We talk of love, we Baptists are pretty good at that, we like to say those things. I remember years ago when I was first in the ministry, how it was that I used to tremble when a deacon or some such person would come to me and with great affectionate purring words would say, my brother, I love you. And then I would wait. I'd learn the cold shower came after that. The ice cubes were put down the back immediately after that. Having said they loved me, they excused the fact that they wanted to be very unkind. We can't do that any longer. When the power of God is released, 1 Corinthians 13 is in our midst. When 1 Corinthians 13 is in our midst, there is no excuse. You see, love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, you can read it for yourself. I don't need to read it to you. You can read it for yourself. Love always, listen to the word, always protects always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. When you stop and glance at that and you start understanding what it is that you're saying, my dear, I love you, we Baptists have got something to learn because we ought perhaps to take a little excursion into the Pentecostal church or the type of Pentecostal, some sort of church like that, where there is a charismatic attitude so that we can understand that there is a true love. There is a love that comes down from heaven that we express to one another. A true love that comes down and settles in our heart that we allow to flow from us. Jesus said to this woman, out of you shall flow rivers of living water. It's like a love that flows from you. It is like a river that will just be spent as it leaves you. It's like a great gushing tide that will overcome you. It is something that is intrinsic within that I place by my love. Now somebody's going to say that I've gone off the deep end. I mentioned the word charismatic and suggested that we look in it. Not into it, in it. What I suggest is this that we understand that the charismatic perhaps has gone too far in the other direction. He has been looking at the gifts so long that he is almost eulogizing the gifts and forgetting the giver of the gift. As we 
have so eulogized the Word, we have forgotten that the Word is God, was with God, and was manifest and made flesh and dwelt among us, and the Word is Jesus. The gift reveals the giver who is Jesus. And the big factor in this piece of Scripture is that Jesus went to Sychar, Jesus spoke to the woman, and Jesus performed the miracle. And Jesus stayed for two days. And Jesus blessed the people. And Jesus became the Savior of those people. And Jesus was in the forefront. Now hide behind your theology. And hide behind your churchianity. And hide behind your baptistic polity and hide behind all this camouflage that doesn't show us Jesus. It shows us church. It shows us religion. It shows us something dead and dull and unloving and frightfully critical. Divisive. Won't allow us to fellowship. Won't allow us to do this and to do that. The confines are small and they get smaller as we become more and more and more exclusive. Look what happens now. We take up the reading in verse 43, and we see how it is that after those two days, Jesus started to journey. Now a man whose son was ill, he was a royal official. We don't know exactly what, he, what his position was, but he was a royal official. This man comes to Jesus, and the text for this day is from verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. Sir, come down before my child dies. I imagine this man had gone to his friends and said, My child is grievously ill. I imagine this man had gone to different people and said, Pray for my child. He is grievously ill. I imagine this man had heard that Jesus changed water into wine, if I followed John's account. And I, heard, I imagine that he had heard how Jesus had chased those rascals out of the temple. I imagine he had heard how Jesus had gone to Samaria for no other reason than to talk to this woman who they really wouldn't approve of. The days had gone by sufficient for him to learn that. He sees Jesus and immediately he says, Sir, come down before my child dies. There is great concern. There is tremendous agony. There is great pathos in what this man is saying. He is saying, let there be a power that I've never seen before. Let there be a miracle that I've never calculated before. Let there be a something that will take me by storm and turn my life. A man sat in the pew of our church when I was a boy growing up. He went there because of his wife. His wife was sort of a sanctimonious lady. I'm never, I was never quite convinced whether she was converted or not. But he went because if he didn't, she nagged him. Some of you might recognize some of that. And she got on to him. And so he went to church. And for at least, uh, oh, 15 years, I... Recall that man standing in when the hymns were announced and bowing his head when the prayers were announced. But when I used to get up to various escapades, I would often, his eye and mine would often engage and 
a funny, whimsical grin would go right across his face and his eyes would sparkle of win approval. And as that man grew older, he became nicer to me as to a boy and gradually we became kind of friends. And a day came when we had a visiting preacher. The visiting preacher stood up and he said, you know, you may have come to church. He didn't know this man. You may have come to church because of, and he gave a list of things why a person might possibly be there. And he said, but I want to tell you, you've come to meet Jesus. And I was sitting in the same line of pew as this man, and I saw tears from his eyes. And as the power of God got hold of this man, I saw him change. And as I saw the change happening, I realized that this man was being converted. And he, for the first time in his life, he had met Jesus. For the first time in his life, he'd heard for one reason or another, he had heard not what the church believed, not so much what the Bible taught in its theology, not about the people we didn't get on with or we didn't agree with, not about the criticisms of wearing this, that or the other, or behavioral patterns that didn't somehow fit, but he had heard that Jesus loved him. And I hope that today you're hearing the power of the word. It is this. Jesus loves you. Now what's your condition and what's your problem? Well, maybe you've got some condition or problem that has been with you for a long time. Maybe you've got some disease. I believe Jesus heals. However, I'm a Baptist. I better be careful who I say that to. And if this recording goes out over the air, I'm sure we'll get letters. Oh, you're a Baptist. He heals? Well, the Bible says he does. I've seen it happen. I know it's there. And I know it's in our day. I know it. But you'd never know that, would you, from our congregation. We know things that we speak nothing of for fear of putting a, a foot in the other camp whatever that camp might be, in the, mostly in the imagination of other people. We have to be awfully careful. We have to walk a straight line. We have to walk on a tightrope. And as we try to balance on the tightrope, when the wind blows, we start wobbling all over the place. And there's always people to say, ha, 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 gotcha, you're going to fall. Instead of rushing up and saying, hold on, look at me, come on, Walk towards me, keep coming, keep coming, you're doing all right until eventually you're safe. People don't do that sort of thing. They say, ha-ha, you're wobbling. Hey, let me uh, see how much more you can wobble. Look, I've got a foot on the line. Now, how's it helping? <laughs> Very embarrassing. We see someone tumble. What do we do? Hey, hey. <laughs> what's it like down there? We're still praying. Paul says you have to be real careful about that. reason you have to be careful about it is this. That was his turn. Yours is next. And remember what you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever it is you sow, you're going to reap it. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. We ought to be a little more tender. 
little more careful, a little more gracious. What have you heard, you visitors of this church? What have you heard? Years ago, it was a dreadful place. Now it's got love in it. Because Jesus is here. What have you heard in the town of all the silly nonsense squabbles and splits? What have you heard? Now Jesus is here. One person agrees with me. I don't understand. How is it we are so hidebound? How is it that this power of God, which is alarmingly wonderful, which is mightily powerful, how is it that this enormous love, we're all shouting, love me, love me, love me, and God says, I am love, and we're not in God. How is it that we are all crying to be recognized by someone who is very nice and very big and very much looked upon and looked up to and God says, my eye is on the sparrow, I see the hair of your head fall, I know who you are, I know your condition and I love you. And we don't look up to him. How is it that Jesus isn't the focal point of our thinking? Jesus isn't the focal point of our loving. Jesus is not the focal point of our churching. Jesus is not the focal point of our studying. Jesus is not the focal point of our praising. Why? God so loved this world that he poured out himself in his Son. And he has spoken to us in these last days through his Son. We best cry out as this man cried out, Sir, come down to me before the child dies. Sir, come to my soul before I perish. Sir, come upon me in thy power. It won't happen when we sit. And it won't happen as we, as we berate. And it will not happen as we go chugging along in our monotonous little religious way. It will happen when we cast ourselves before Him. And when He pours His Spirit, He is going to pour it. This church won't be big enough for the power that God is going to pour out. This man recognized. He knew. He absolutely knew God was going to bless him. He said, Sir, help me. Come down to Capernaum. Come down now before my dear child dies. Come, come down. And Jesus said to him, there's no need. Go home. Your child lives. I see that man looking at Jesus and I see the cogs of his mind going round. I see all sorts of things going on. His heart thumping away. And he's looking and he's saying in effect, I want to believe you. I do believe you. I will believe you. I'm going home. There was a process before that fellow went home. As he went home, the story that we've read, the servants came running from the house, they met him, and they said, you can rejoice, the son lives, your child lives, he's alive. And he said, when? When exactly? Tell me exactly when he turned. Tell me exactly when things turned around. Tell me exactly what happened. And he said, well, at one o'clock, the fever left him, just like that, miraculous. Why, that was the time Jesus said, your son lives. That was the very time. What is the power of God? Your soul has been sinful. 
Here is the power of God. Before you die, He gives you life. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. This life is yours. My dear friend, it's yours. But you must come to Jesus and you must receive it of Jesus. You mustn't come from a, it mustn't come from a Baptist background. It mustn't come from a Pentecostal background. It mustn't come from an Episcopalian background. It mustn't come from anyone but Jesus. You have to see this, you Christian. Your heart has been so sore, so torn, so critical, so vile, so rude, so discourteous, so unkind, so unfruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God is not working. Years ago in this place, there is no question that the arguments that went on were dishonoring. When there are arguments in the church, it's always dishonoring to Jesus. Could never be otherwise. When Christians cannot agree, it is a shame. I am ashamed when I disagree. I am ashamed when I am in opposition. And there is shame when the love of the Spirit of God is released and we oppose it. That shame. That shame. We need to come to our knees. We need to fall down before God. But one of the things that we see in this beautiful revelation of Scripture is that this man simply looked into the eyes of Jesus. He said, Sir, you come down before my dear child, this barren of my life, this heritage of God, this dear little one, before this little one dies. You come down, please. Now, I have wondered over the years as I've read this scripture at different times, and I wonder today how it is that the, the love of Jesus could go to the man, and how it was that the power of Jesus could go to the boy. I've wondered many a time how it was that the man could be so assured by the look of the eye and the word of the mouth of Jesus, and the boy so far away could be completely healed. Here's how. All power is given unto me, said Jesus. All power is His. All power and all victory. All power and all glory. All power and all majesty. For He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And He is the Savior of those that will turn to Him. Will you turn to Him? Will you, will you come just as you are? I, I, I get captivated to the point of tears. I get captivated to the point where my throat is so dry and so choking when I read that beautiful verse, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, O Lamb of God, O precious Jesus, I come. I come. The Baptists who revel in their ability to preach should understand that the very best preacher according to the dear Apostle Paul is a foolish creature. So the very best we are ever believing in as Baptists is foolishness. Foolishness. 
foolishness. And if you listen to that, you must understand that when you get so proud about being a good old Baptist, and when you get so proud about the fact that we have really got the corner on glory, you must understand that with the Word goes action. Not the talking of it. Not the teaching of it. But action. How can you love someone? Hmm? The test is loving someone who is rejected. There's your test. How can you love someone? The test goes from the person rejected to the person that isn't nice. How can you love someone? The test goes beyond the rejected and isn't nice to the person that you disagree with. Can you love? Jesus disagreed with the world. Jesus saw an ugliness in the world. Jesus saw that the world was lost. It was confused. It was completely without love and without hope. And it was helpless to bring either love or hope to itself. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would be saved in Jesus. We would be saved in Jesus. We would be cleansed in Jesus. We would be empowered a royal official came to Jesus, says the piece of Scripture that we read. This royal official comes to Jesus and he says, in effect, I need some victory. I don't need a victory in a battlefield. I don't need a victory in my domestic scene. I don't need promotion. But what I need is a victory over Satan. I need a victory over death. Jesus said later on, John records, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believes in me shall never die. This man, at the beginning of John's record of the ministry of Jesus, understood this without understanding it. It was confronted, he was confronted with it. Jesus said to the man, The boy, the son, your son, lives. And miles away, the power of Jesus reached that boy. The fever left him. I believe that if we come face to face to face with Jesus, I believe that if we'll come face to face with our living Lord, there will be a power released. And souls will be saved. But we must come face to face with Jesus. We must put things right with Jesus. We must recognize Him as King, as Lord of our lives. The Christian, will you? Hmm? Non-Christian, you who have yet to receive Jesus, will you? I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to let us pray over you. We're going to sing the hymn two, 622. We're going to sing two verses. That's all there are. And I'm going to ask you as you sing those two verses to come forward. You may need to rededicate your life to Christ and to look into the eyes of Jesus. You may need to come and you may need to say, I want to, I want to receive Christ. Then you come. And some of you sitting here may possibly want to join in fellowship with our church, we ask that you will make a public profession 
and so come. The hymn is 622. Jesus loves you and me.